Amen, church. Go ahead and have a seat. If you have a Bible, go ahead and get it open to Matthew chapter 25. Hello to everybody watching on Facebook Live or following us on the YouVersion app, which you can do, by the way, if you've been gone a little bit this summer and you don't know about that. Uh, you can take your Bible app and open it up, uh, go down to More, then Events, and then go to New Vintage SD and find the, the live version. You can follow right along with where we're going. Growth group leaders, you can find your questions there. So we hope you find that uh, beneficial. As we get going this morning, I want to ask God's blessing on us as we study His Word together. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, uh, for the gift of Your Word, we give You thanks. For the life that You've given us, we give You thanks. For each person gathered here, we give You thanks. For each person uh, who is seeking You uh, online, we give You thanks. For every person, Father, that has uh, shown up today with their uh, sense of purposelessness or uh, trying to find meaning in their life or in need of healing, uh, who's feeling uh, troubled, Father, we ask for a, a blessing this morning uh, that you, you bring your word to their heart in that way. Those who came in feeling victorious and triumphant, we give you thanks for them, Father. May they feel your blessing as well. So as we open up this story, Father, speak to us. Uh, let us know, Father, how we can be obedient and how we can live in a way uh, that brings your well done to the way that we live. We pray this in the name of Christ. Amen. All right. Well, off and running this morning, let me just ask you. Now, this is a, to some of you is going to be a depressing question, but, but just, just, just go with it, okay? I want you to think about the biggest opportunity you've missed in your life. I mean, something you look back on and you go, boy, I had it. I had an opportunity to, to do that or experience that. Or, and for some of you, it'll be relational. You know, you had a relationship that maybe you didn't pay enough attention to and, and you squandered it. You had an opportunity to uh, go to something really unique or special and, and you missed it. Uh, your kid did something that you really wish you could have seen, but you missed it. But there are opportunities that come our way that we really, really regret. Uh, when it's all said and done that we didn't, weren't able to take advantage of that particular opportunity. Today is about making the most of the opportunities that God gives us. We're in a series called Well Done. It's all about seeking the well done of God. If you're a Christian, then the aim of your life, when you get up in the morning, when you go to bed, when you get up and do it again, it's always about, I want God to be pleased with what I'm doing. I want to take advantage of every opportunity that I have to please my Heavenly Father. Matthew 25 is a, uh, one of the sadder uh, chapters of the Bible because it's about missed opportunities. There are basically three scenes, and if you picture it as a play, there are three acts. Act one is what they call the parable of the bridesmaids, and you have people there, uh, or the parable of the virgin, ten virgins, or however you look at it, uh, depending on the translation you've got, they'll head it differently. But you have people that are there, their job, they have one job. I'm here to keep my lamp lit, wait for the bridegroom to come. Well, they run out of oil, they aren't ready. So the bridegroom shows up, and they miss it. Parable number two. Our text for this morning, known as the parable of the talents. Parable three is not really a parable, it's an end time scene. And it's the master showing up and looking uh, at people and saying to certain people, well done, and to others saying, look, I was hungry and you gave me nothing to eat. I was in prison and you didn't visit me. Missed opportunities, right? We're going to take act two and we're going to pick it apart today. We're going to walk through it. And I hope when we leave here today, we're going to have a better sense of how God can use our lives in mighty ways. God did not give you the life that you have for no reason. He didn't give you the abilities that you have for no reason. He didn't give you the resources you have for no reason. Your life, okay, has purpose. 
deal with it. Okay? That's essentially the parable of the talents in a nutshell. All right? So we're going to read it together. Um, it's not that long, but by today's standards, you know, it's, uh, it's long. It's, uh, I guess, technically 15 verses, which is, uh, you know, war and peace, basically, these days. But um, we're going to go ahead and read together, and I hope uh, we'll pause at certain points and just highlight a couple of things as we read, okay? This is Matthew chapter 25, verses 14 to 30. It's printed there inside the, the Bible app as well. Again, Jesus says, The kingdom of heaven can be illustrated by the story of a man going on a long trip. He called together his servants, and he entrusted his money to them while he was gone. He gave five bags of silver to one, two bags of silver to another, one bag of silver to the last, dividing it in proportion to their abilities. He then left on his trip. So everybody gets different amounts. It says, basically, according to their abilities. Okay? Verse 16, the servant who received the five bags of silver began to invest the money and earn five more. The servant with two bags of silver also went to work and earned two more. The servant who received the one bag of silver dug a hole in the ground and hid his master's money, buried it in a mattress, basically. Verse 19, after a long time, their master returned from his trip and he called them to give an account of how they had used his money. The servant to whom he had entrusted the five bags of silver came forward with five more and said, Master, you gave me five bags of silver to invest. I have earned five more. Now, what kind of return is that? Let's, let's do some math here. This is really complicated. 100%. Way to go. Give that man a prize. The master was full of praise. Well done. And just so you know where we got the title of this series, it's from this parable. This is the only place that phrase is used specifically in this way. Okay, now there are lots about pleasing God, but that phrase, well done, comes from the parable of the talents. Okay? Uh, the servant who received five, uh, he invested the money. Verse 18, the servant who received one bag of silver. So the guy with two got two more. That's also 100% return. Verse 18, the servant who received the one bag of silver dug a hole in the ground, hid the master's money. Master comes back. So what, if you bury something in the ground, you get one, and you bury it in the ground, and it comes out as one, what's the return? Oh, oh, come on, this isn't very hard. What's the return on the same thing? If I give you a dollar, and I wait a year, and you give it back to me, and it's still a dollar, what, what kind of return did I get? Now, I know some of you are in finance, and you're going, well, actually, based on the time value of money, uh, the dollar's worth... Okay, 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 okay. In reality, let's just keep it simple. Squat is the return, I think. Is the biblical term? Maybe Hebrew or something? All right, so the master was full of praise. Verse 21, well done, my good and faithful servant. You've been faithful in handling this small amount. Now I will give you many more responsibilities. So let's celebrate together. Verse 22, the servant who had received two bags of silver came forward and said, Master, you gave me two bags of silver to invest. I've earned two more. The master said, well done, my good and faithful servant. You've been faithful in handling this small amount, so now I will give you many more responsibilities. Let's celebrate together. The servant with the one bag of silver came and said, Master, I knew you were a harsh man. Now, does he seem harsh? But the first two, they're celebrating, right? He didn't seem harsh. But this guy goes, I knew you were a harsh man, harvesting crops you didn't plant, gathering crops you didn't cultivate. I was afraid I would lose your money. So I hid it in the earth. Here's your money back. Fear can ruin your faith more than anything in the world. Just being afraid. Verse 26, the master replied, you wicked and lazy servant. Doesn't sound like there's going to be a celebration. 
If you knew I harvested crops I didn't plant, gathered crops I didn't cultivate, why didn't you deposit my money in the bank? At least I could have gotten some interest on it. Now keep in mind here, he's not looking for basic interest. He says that's the least you could have done. He's gotten 100% return out of the other two. So he's not one to put it in like a, a 20-year treasury bill, getting a 1.5 or whatever it's at these days. He's looking for better than that. But he says the least you could have done was put it in the bank. Then he ordered, verse 28, Take the money from this servant and give it to the one with the ten bags of silver. To those who use well what they're given, even more will be given, and they will have an abundance. But from those who do nothing, even what, they, what little they have will be taken away. Now throw this useless servant into outer darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. No celebration there. <clears throat> so, what is this about? Well, first, just to keep it in its immediate context, it really is about fiscal resources. A talent uh, was a unit of money. That's why I'm glad the NLT uses bags of silver. It keeps it the way that it was intended. Talent throws people off in English. They think, oh, you mean my skills. And so we're going to apply it to three aspects of life, time, talent, treasure. But fundamentally, this is about money. This is about the use of, of money. And God entrusting his funds to people and then them getting him a return on what he invests. So I hope that over the course of the morning, you'll get that, but you'll also understand the principles that you apply then, how to use your time, the gifts that God's given you, all of it. Because really, underneath it, the big principle here is that everything belongs to Him. And if we can get that, that will change your life in untold ways. I mean, you want something that will revolutionize who you are and the way that you get out of bed in the morning, how about this? None of it's yours. Yes, it is. No, you, did you give yourself life? Is that how that worked? No. We, got, we had ten babies over in the nursery last Sunday. How many of them got here by their own doing? Even the life you have was a gift of God. And so what we got to do is understand that when we get up in the morning, what I do, the money that I have is not mine, it's his. And he expects a return on those. The life I have, the time I have, he's given me another day to live, and he wants a return on those. At the very least, put it in the bank so he gets something out of it. But if I really want to hear his well done, then I actually spend time thinking about how can I get a return on what my master has entrusted to me. And so for some of us, we're going to automatically go, oh, you know what, I don't even have one bag of silver worth of, of uh, gifts, time, talent, and treasure. Oh, we'll get there. He's given something to everybody, and he expects a return. So the key to the parable is, if you want to dig the meaning out and apply it, is not to simply ask the question, okay, well, how much money should I give? No. How much of God's money should I keep? How much of God's time should I spend doing X or Y? This is a stewardship parable. It's not just about money. It's about, it applies more broadly. It starts with money, but it, it works its way out from there. What can I do with God's time, talent, and treasure that will bring him the greatest amount of return? Well, pastor, no, you mean me the most pleasure. No. Him the most return. 
Now, another teaching of the Bible that will bless you is if you're doing this, you may remember something about seeking first the kingdom of God, and all those things will be added to you as well. I'm here to tell you that the, I, my experience is that the more I pour myself into the things of God, the more fun I have. The more blessed my life seems, the more fulfilled I am, the more I see God using my life in ways that provide meaning, which then gives me joy. It isn't the pursuit of pleasure, and then I hope I can throw in a dash of God so that if I'm going through a hard time, you know, I can kind of self-help my way out of it. No. The way that the Bible teaches us is the whole thing, from the air in your lungs to the money in your wallet or purse to the time that you've got on your clock, however many days you've got left, okay, they belong to Him, and you will meet Him. And He will go, let's see what kind of return I got. And what I don't want to do is show up before him someday and say, yeah, you know what? You gave me five talents, but I actually spent them all. I don't even have your five back because I spent them. And that's the way a lot of people live. Okay, so the first thing is it's all his. Number two, God's given us everything we need to do his will. Everything we need. So is God going to give you uh, one bag and without the capacity then to make two? It doesn't seem so. God seems to think that if he entrusts it to a capable steward, that he can get a 100% return. Meaning whatever he's giving us is investable. Your time, your talent, your treasure, that you can get a 100% return. That's what pleases him. Not burying it in a mattress, obviously, and not putting it in, in even just the bank. He says that's the least you could have done. So I guess if you're looking for modern-day equivalents, what would it be to bury it in a mattress? I guess basically do the bare minimum to just kind of give him back what he gave. Now, I want you to picture this. Imagine you had a financial advisor. You took your own money, and you gave it to him, and you said, hey, uh, I'm not going to give you a, a whole lot. I'm going to give you a safe, let's just say it's a lot on its surface, but in the broad scheme of things, over 60 years, it's not as much. Let's say uh, $5,000. This is for retirement. I want you to invest this, okay? And I'm going to come back when I'm, I hit 65, uh, and, and I hope that, that, that you'll have done this. So you give them $5,000. You go ahead. You wait until you're 65. You show up. You go, hey there, I'm back. And they go, well, here's your $5,000 back. It was so little, I didn't invest it. I didn't bother investing it because it really wasn't that much money. Now, those of you who are in finance, uh, $5,000 over 40 years, making even 5% interest, be worth a lot more, wouldn't it? Be worth more than 100%. Okay. But because that wasn't even done, because they go, oh, that's insignificant, they didn't do it. Would you be happy? So my question is, if you wouldn't be happy, why would God be happy with doing that with me? If God entrusted something to me and said, I want you to put this to use, I'm giving it to you for a specific purpose. And after my 65 years or however long I get on this earth, I hope it's more, but if God wants to call me home sooner, then that's what it is. But he comes back to me and I go, and I come back to him and I say, hey, here's your money back, basically. Or heaven forbid, I do a deal where I spent through it. I took the gifts that you gave me and I used them for my own purposes. He's not going to be happy anymore than I would be happy, except it's a much graver injustice because of his righteousness. 
So what he does, he gives us these things and he expects his return, not because it shouldn't even be that big of a struggle. He seems to look at this as though it's the, the air the Christian breathes. If I give it to you, your job is to invest it. And when I come back, you give me something back. I mean, imagine this. Your financial advisor, same one. You gave him $5,000. You come back, he gives you $5,000 back, but he took his commission out of it each year. So he didn't even invest it because he held it. He, he took his commission out of it. This is kind of like the Christian version of, I go to church and I receive, but I put nothing into it. I go year after year after year after year. I might even wear an NBC ball cap or t-shirt. But I don't serve. I don't give. I consume. I'm going to take the commission, but not invest. I'm sorry, is that too personal or what? (laughs) Okay, it isn't about the amount, sisters and brothers. That's clear here. It's what you do with what God has given you. A person given one talent who turns it into two has created a greater return than a person with five talents who gets no return. Because at least they produce the talent worth of return. So don't look at it and go, I can't do that or I'm not this or I'm not that. No, 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 don't discount it. Football season is kicked off, all right? I went to two football games, one high school, one college. There is one player on the team that stands out when you're watching any football team. He's shorter than everybody else. Uh, he tends to look very slight. Uh, they are uh, kind of off to the side doing their own thing, not really kind of included in the team. Who am I talking about? The kicker. Now, if you're just talking about, you know, who's the biggest, strongest, fastest, the kicker doesn't seem to matter. They usually make close to the league minimum unless they're a really good one. They might have been a soccer player or something, you know, they just kind of slid onto the team. They don't play offense or defense. You know who wins the Super Bowl a lot of times? The kicker. It's the one-talent guy, the little dude. He's slow. He can't tackle anybody. He can't do anything, and yet he has a leg. Nobody else can put the ball through the uprights. So he has a point. He has a function. He has a purpose. You can sit there all day and watch at the end when they kick a field goal to win a football game. That big, you know, 400-pound human-eating monster that blocks for him will come up and basically like, you know, pick him up in his hand and kind of like, like, hey, good job. You know, it's probably the first time they've seen each other in, in like a year. But there's like, yeah, good job. And everybody's partying around this little dude because of what he did. I go, let me say this to you, Christian. Okay, you have been given something. And some of you got five. Some of you got two. Some of you got one. Okay, but if, if God gave you a big time arm, throw the thing. If you got speed and hands, catch it. If you got legs and field vision, run it. And if you got a boot on you, kick it. But for God's sake, stop watching the game. Stop watching the game. Stop sitting there. If you have a leg, stop envying the quarterback and kick the ball because he can't kick. See, Paul uses the language of a body, and everybody gets, you know, the Holy Spirit gives people spiritual gifts just as he chooses. 
It's God's sovereignty. He understands what he's trying to do. So he gives you a set, certain set of gifts, me a certain set of gifts, you know, other people's sets of gifts, and in different proportions. And the point of it isn't to sit there and spend your life going, I only got one talent. How come you got five and they got two? That's just not fair. You know, and, and, and then basically give God's money back to him when you spent your life whining about what he entrusted to you. No, 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 no. It's to simply say, God, what you've given me, I'm going to be faithful with, and if you're in your sovereignty, you take it upon yourself to give me more, which is kind of the punchline of the parable, then I'm going to take that and I'm going to invest it in such a way that my hope is you will look at me and say, well done. Well done. God has given you everything you need to do what he wants you to do. You know, there's no, there are no can'ts. In the kingdom of God. 2 Peter 1.3 says, By His divine power, God has given us everything we need for living a godly life. We have received all of this by coming to know Him, the One who called us to Himself by means of His marvelous glory and excellence. Now listen, we, so He's saying, I've given you everything you need. My divine power has given you everything you need for life and godliness through our knowledge of Him who called us by His own glory and goodness. Now, we live in a world, sisters and brothers, where a lack of return is usually blamed on somebody else. They're the reason that I didn't do it. That's the reason why. Now, I'm not saying there are no obstacles out there that have to be overcome, but God isn't going to hold you accountable for somebody else's deposit. He's holding you accountable for yours. And He knows every stinking challenge you've ever faced and every one that you ever will face, and He will give you everything you need to find victory over that battle. He knows what we are capable of. And more importantly, he knows what he's capable of through us. He turns our couldn'ts and into wouldn'ts, really. Our coulds into dids and blankets all of it with a well done. So if you look at yourself in the mirror this morning or later this afternoon... You look at your graded on the last test, you look at your last performance review, and you sigh. I hope you're going to hear me this morning saying, if you have difficulty believing in yourself, believe in God in you. Believe in God in you. He's what gives us all worth and His divine power that has given us everything we need for life and godliness through our knowledge of Him who called us, okay? I know it doesn't always look that flashy. Jesus tells another parable. It's called the parable of the mustard seed. The moral of the story is, it doesn't look like much now, but wait. Here it is, Mark 4, 30 to 32. We have it on the screen. Jesus said, how can I describe the kingdom of God? What story should I use to illustrate it? It's like a mustard seed planted in the ground. It's the smallest of all the seeds, but it becomes the largest of all garden plants. It grows long branches, and birds can make nests in its shade. So what's Jesus saying here? That the Kingdom of God isn't much to look at, but she's got a great personality or something like that. Is that what he's trying to say? No, 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 no. He's saying don't mistake a, a, a sapling for a weak tree. Just because it's a sapling doesn't mean it's not going to become anything great. Because time after time, God throughout the Scriptures uses people and circumstances as ordinary as, as, as cornflakes or tap water. They ask of Jesus, isn't this the carpenter's son? The religious leaders who persecuted the early followers of Jesus stood amazed at their boldness because they were ordinary, uneducated men. 
Paul says he didn't come with wise and persuasive words. A woman who'd been married five times says, come and see, and the whole stinking village shows up. Jesus wasn't born in Rome or Jerusalem like everybody was expecting. He was born in Nazareth. Went Bethlehem and then Nazareth. Can anything good come from Nazareth, they asked? Apparently so. We need to stop thinking that God's kingdom only shows itself like an immovable mighty oak tree rather than a mustard seed. And I'm speaking mostly to people who feel like they got one talent out of the deal. Some of us got five, maybe even 20. We got some insanely talented people in this church. Well, then the goal isn't to give God the 20 back. It's to show up with 40 or more. The kingdom of God is like a mustard seed. We may not know how it works, but it's growing. And when it grows into its fullness, it is the biggest, baddest, strongest thing out there. Now, another principle from the parable. We are not spenders. We are investors. Big difference in the way you orient yourself toward time, money, all of that stuff. We're not spenders. We're investors. So think big, okay? God seems pleased with a 100% return with a 100% return on his investment, and he is displeased with just protecting his money. So in the kingdom of God, we often make the mistake of assuming that our job is to protect what God has entrusted to us. Or even worse, that God gave us what he has to, like, like he gave it to us just to spend, when what he wants is it invested in to bring him a return. Now, how does that happen? It means you can't be afraid. Okay, doing what God wants you to do can be terrifying. I mean, absolutely White knuckles on the steering wheel, terrifying at times, right? We just spent our summer going through Joshua, okay? I imagine battle after battle after battle, eventually Joshua's like, okay. I mean, we know from looking through those stories how terrified they were at times, but you can't be content to just sit there and because the goal isn't to just simply bury it in a mattress because I'm afraid and give it back to God. He's not pleased with that. The question is, how do we produce a return on what God has given us in time and talent and treasure? The sin of the wicked, lazy servant is that he buries it in the ground because he's afraid. He's afraid. So when here's in the, in the exponential world of the kingdom of God, how God just grows stuff. When it's in the hands of God, it just has a way of multiplying, Right? There's one miracle other than the resurrection that's in all four Gospels. You know what it is? It's the feeding of the 5,000. Five loaves, two fish, 5,000 people. Check it out. He takes it. Jesus says, give them to me. The first response of the disciples is, we better send everybody home because they're hungry and we don't have any food. (laughs) And he says, give them to me. He takes them and then boom! It's like everybody's fed. Baskets of, of leftovers left over. Everybody stands amazed. How does that happen? I have no idea. They didn't have any idea. They just know he's a multiplier. So much so his mom noticed it. Remember his first miracle? They'd run out of wine. Do whatever he says. That's what his mom said. Let me tell you something. If you want a life mantra, there it is. Do whatever he says. Do whatever he says. You want to see something grow? Do whatever he says. You want to get a return on your life? Do whatever he says. You want to see your time matter? Do whatever he says. You want to see your finances heal? 
Do whatever he says. It's Mary understanding that, I don't know, we're out, we are out of wine. And he just said, you know, and his first response was, what does this have to do with me? And then Mary just goes, just do whatever he says. I mean, it's a great, like, house scene where moms and sons are going back and forth. Just, just, just he'll be okay. Just, you know. And she gives it to him. And next thing you know, the most delicious wine you've ever seen just pouring out. How did that happen? Because that's how the economy of the kingdom works. He's a multiplier, and that theme runs throughout the Bible. God tells Adam and Eve, be fruitful and multiply. We got that one down at this church, man. We got babies hanging from the chandeliers. <laughs> we knocked that one out. Next one, <laughs> turning water into wine when the wine had run out. His parables generally applaud, Jesus is due, those who are entrusted, they entrust stuff to him so that he can make more. Like the, this one, the parable of the talents and the minas. He turns five loaves and two fish into enough to feed 5,000 people with baskets of leftovers. There's one exception. When he curses something and says, don't bear any fruit, it's the fig tree. Which he curses for not bearing fruit despite having the appearance of bearing fruit. He's the fruitful one. I'm the vine, you are the branches. You stay in me, you will bear much fruit. It's a prophecy from Jesus himself. You stay attached to me and watch what happens. Like Mary said, do whatever he says. Stay attached to him and see if your life doesn't bear fruit. He is the fruitful one. Next, we will give an account for what we've done. At the end of the parable, the master returns and gives an account. Now, if you're trying to figure out how you're doing... Okay, I'm going to suggest you need regular checkups on your spiritual well-being. Uh, unbeknownst, I've been running a little covert side op here to try to get myself back in shape. All right, not proud of it. But if you finally reach that point, you know, you look in the mirror and you just go, all right, it stops today, man. You ever have one of those moments where it's like, that's it, I've had enough, it stops today. You put some habits in place and you go. Well, our scale in our bathroom is electronic. It's a, one of those Fitbit scales. And uh, it was out of battery for about six weeks. So I've been out doing my thing, trying to eat better, trying to exercise, doing this and that. But Em replaced the batteries in the scale. So I started about the time the scale went dead. She put the scale back, you know, put batteries in it so now I can figure out what I weigh. Moment of truth. We gotta get Mike back up here and do a drum roll. I get in there, it's been six weeks. Six weeks of blood, sweat, tears, sacrifice. Check this out. So I get on the scale. I look down. Now this thing says that in six weeks I had lost 25 pounds. Now right now, yeah, yeah, don't get too excited. <laughs> and I stared at it in amazement. 25 pounds in six weeks? I mean, I'm thinking to myself, that's amazing. Like, I wanna start my own like fitness show. Like <laughs> Body by Tim or like have my own supplement line or something that, 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 that the, the Tim plan, you know, like everybody else does and market the thing and make a ton of money off of it or whatever. I was so proud of myself. I sat there and I go, 25 pounds? I said, how did you do it, young man? I looked in the mirror and, you know, flexed, you know. I was like, 25 pounds, six weeks. Think of how good I'm going to do six weeks from now. In fact, I was so proud of myself, I decided I want to see that number again. So I walked back on over. Did the scale like so? Got back on. Somehow, I had gained 10 pounds in the last 60 seconds. <laughs> so I kind of backed off. 
And I was like, what happened? So, and I was like, oh, man. Like, you know, so, so it was still pretty good. 15 pounds, six weeks, that's really good. I look back at it, and I'm like, do I dare get back on it? Is there something wrong with the scale? So I decided. And this time, it was a little different. Walked with a little more humility to the scale. There's now more of one of these deals where you're kind of <laughs> afraid, and you kind of like put one foot on. Okay, I'm going to take all the change out of my pocket. So my phone's out. How can I make myself as light as I can? I step back on. I've gained another 10 pounds. <laughs> so I backed off. I go, five pounds in six weeks. That's not, that's not, that's not as exciting as I'd hoped. And then, you know how you start them playing uh, games in your mind? You start justifying, you go, well, you know, muscle weighs more than fat, you know. I'm sure the reason is that uh, my muscle density is so much stronger than it was that it's carrying the weight across and da-da-da-da-da-da-da. Okay, Here, uh, here's, here's, here's where I'm going with this, okay? Don't, 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 don't tilt the scale. If you really want to be honest before God, you can't just work out for six weeks and step on and go, hey, I, get, I lost 25 pounds. See you next Easter. You know what I'm saying? And then realize you came back an Easter later and now, man, how would I, I gain all that weight in such a short amount of time? You're going to have to do it regularly. You need people around you to go, Dude, you look a little bit better than the last time I saw you. I notice, I see God working in you. Put their arm around you and say, dude, come on. Let's do it together. You know, I happen to notice what you did last week. We had a person in the lobby that was grieving to the point of tears. And I watched somebody else in the church go up to that person and put their arm around them and comfort them. Okay? That's good. That's God going, yeah, well done, well done, well done. You know what else they could have done? They could have said, oh, no, a crying person. I want to be happy today. I'm out of here, right? And that's what, that's what people do, but we're supposed to be different. We are supposed to be different because my life doesn't belong to me. My time doesn't belong to me. And what God is promising us, if you want abundant life, you have to invest the way in the economy of the kingdom, which means it's all his. What would God want me to do here? He would want me, I see a grieving person. What should I do? I should go up to him and see if I can help. And it may be that they say, no, 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 I'm fine, and they push me away or whatever. That's fine. I did what God wanted me to do. If I find out, if I know the church has a need, and it's there, this is like the good Samaritan, right? If I know that somebody in this church has a need, if I know the church itself has a need, I know I can meet it, and I take a hard pass. How's God see that? We need to measure these things the way God measures them. Not just simply give him his money back with no return, but by giving him a return. And I think the way that you do that is you look at everything you have. It starts by understanding, what has he given me? And my experience has been, at least with myself and, and those that have been Christians a long time, is we, you're used to trying to think this way so often that eventually Satan has this way of robbing your future by dimming the lens in your present. 
And you start going from a I get to mentality to I have to. When it comes to serving the Lord, parenting your kids, being married, whatever it is. And so it's really easy to simply say, oh, I only. Oh, whenever you start a sentence that way, just bleh, just toss that one away. Throw that in the pit of hell and move on. Not you only. Right, sit there. I'll, I'll give you an example. All right, so if I'm, a, if I'm a preacher and I wanted to feel sorry for myself, here's how, you, here's how you look at the situation, our current malaise here. Okay, we all know we're going somewhere. This church is on the move. Okay, but I could sit here and feel pretty sorry for myself if I chose to. Oh, you know, mobile. I got to show up early. We got to set up things. I only this, or I have to preach more often than I used to because it's important for me to help lead through this. I have to? I get 52 weeks a year to share the gospel with people. You see the difference in thinking, right? We get to do this. We get to do this. I can look and I can go, we've got, we're going to probably set a record for baptisms this year. We've got more babies than we've ever had, which is a good thing. All those flamingo sermons worked, y'all, right? <laughs> hey, it worked. We got babies everywhere, and we got people getting ready to give birth. I don't know what we're going to do. That's, isn't that a great problem to have? Come on. That's awesome, right? You sit there, you go, yes, it's a double-edged sword because people are looking at the church with a, uh, some people with a critical lens, and some people are looking at it with a very rose-tinted lens. But I do know this. Isn't it, worth, isn't it even though it's tiring and sometimes frustrating and it, it makes our church feel a little bit awkward, like, a, like an adolescent phase where we're all knees and elbows and we can't run from here to there without tripping. That's how it feels kind of leading right now in the church. But isn't it great to at least be going somewhere instead of just sitting there getting older and atrophying spiritually from just raw repetition of the same tired stuff? I'm thankful for that. I'm thankful that I get to preach to people I actually like. I've had seasons where, I mean, there's like a target on me. And I rolled out of bed on Sunday mornings going, why am I doing this? I don't do that here. I love the people here. Like, I bounce out of bed on Sundays. I get tired like everybody else, but internally, I do well. That's a blessing. I look at, I have actual friends in life that I enjoy being around. That's a blessing. I do have some meager gifts that God has given me. That's a blessing. I have all of these things. So when you're sitting there and you're feeling sorry for yourself, maybe God only gave me one bag instead of two or five or ten, or look at them, they got more than I got or whatever. Be faithful with what he's given you. Start there. And he tends to give more to people who are grateful for whatever he gives them. Start there. Be faithful with it and then watch God multiply it. You know, I feel like uh, in some ways, um, I was talking to somebody last week, I go, I feel like our church is a bit of a slingshot. We're pulled back right now like that, getting ready to go. That's how it feels. But that's a blessing. Because our time is short. That's one of the points of this. The master's coming back. It's in the lifetime of the stewards, in the master. See that? That's the sound of the future right there. <laughs> our time is short make it count sister or brother make it count you don't want to show up to the master and some saying oh you know I gave you this I gave you that yeah cool 
here it is back. You gave me the ability to, to serve, to give. You gave me the ability to pour myself into other people, but I passed on that. But here's your money back. Now, I want you to also think about this. We are, as a collective, I think God's given us five, two, or one. That there's a collective piece to this, and it's all of us helping each other, functioning as the body of Christ, to give God a good return on what he's invested in us. Right? And so sometimes, you know, uh, what we do is we play a role that's different maybe than even where we are. Like, there, was a, there were times... Uh, I can remember when I, when, I, when I was a baseball player that even though I was a pitcher, they would use me as a base runner in a key situation because I was a good base runner. And I'm like, I could have gone, oh, I'm a pitcher, I, I don't do that, that's how I'm gifted, and da, da, da. but I was, they needed me to run the bases at that point. So they would put me on, which meant I couldn't pitch later. I'd be out of the game. But at that moment and that time, that's where they needed me, Right? So there might be some of you sitting here who go, yeah, normally I'm in this wheelhouse and this is kind of my thing, but right now I, I think the church could use me here. So I'm going to do this. And just simply by stepping into a key spot at the right time, uh, you can have an exponential impact and help the collective church go from 2 to 4 or 5 to 10 by just doing that. The grand project, okay, the way that we were trying to, the reason that we chose this method, okay, and I've, I've said this a lot, and you've read the articles, and you talk to me all the time, and we all know this, right, but I want to say it again, and I'm going to say it until you're tired of hearing me say it, all right, it was because we felt like it was our best chance of producing an exponential return on what God had given to us, and that we might have the chance to go from being a two-talent church to being like a 20 and recognizing it and going, in part, because of all the good it will do for the city, but it also creates a new kind of ministry that allows us, essentially, to continue to do renewable ministry. It's almost like putting solar panels on the ministry of the church, where it, it, everything kind of comes together. People do life, church, all of that, and kind of one big thing, and you've got this, this um, wonderful opportunity to serve people, host people, um, everything, from the way it's financed to everything else is built to be renewable and strategic and it's aimed at mission it is not aimed at at publicity or anything else it's aimed at mission and it's aimed at trying to take whatever the heck god gave us and we are immensely blessed to be able to take that and multiply it exponentially for the good of the kingdom so when the master returns what did you do with it well in our eight years of existence, here's what we've done as best we can do. We felt like we took everything he gave us, every, every person that was there, every, every dollar that came in the plate, every hour in the day or whatever. This is the best return we, can, we think we can do. And we're trying to be strategic in how we do it instead of just doing the typical kind of style. All right? And it's a way of fulfilling this passage, Ephesians 5, 15 to 17. So be careful how you live. Don't live like fools, but like those who are wise. Make the most of every opportunity in these evil days. Don't act thoughtlessly, but understand what the Lord wants you to do. So I want you to think about that personally. Okay, God's given me these abilities. What can I do? How can I jump in? 
How can I give God an exponential return on his investment, so to speak? Because I want to hear him say at the end, I want, him, I want to stand before my Heavenly Father someday and have him go, well done. Well done. doesn't mean you're going to be perfect. But it means your life has value, it has meaning, it has purpose. Deal with it, as we said. It is the curse of the kingdom that God blessed you the way he did. So let's give him a return. Let's give him a return. You got, a, you got opportunities galore, man. You got, you got opportunities to serve. You got opportunities for fellowship. Jump, jump into a group, for goodness sake, and pour your life into other people and let them pour into yours and see how it goes. You know, if, if your finances need help, or even if they don't, you just want to iron it together. Okay, when we offer you an opportunity like Financial Peace University, it's going to cost you like 10 hours of your life to change the way you handle money for the rest of your life. That's a good investment of time. So don't pass on it. Okay? When we offer you the opportunity to come be around other Christians and understand what God's up to in this church and be a part of what he's doing in this city right now, my goodness, take advantage of it. Don't just go, oh, awesome, God, thanks for the memories. And on that great day, just give him his money back. Or even worse, say, I spent through what you entrusted to me. Your life brims with meaning. And it is the gift of our Heavenly Father. This time we're going to gather around the Lord's table. We're going to take communion together. Those who are going to be serving the elements, go ahead and take your posts. We remember Jesus with bread and cup. Body of Christ uh, and the blood of Christ are the symbols there. And so as we do, uh, I want to go back to Matthew chapter 25 and let these words of Jesus echo in our minds and our hearts as we do this. The master said, well done, my good and faithful servant. You've been faithful in handling this small amount, so now I will give you many more responsibilities. Let's celebrate together. Wow. Let's celebrate together. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we want to hear your well done. We want to hear you say, well done, my good and faithful servant. Father, may we be found faithful in handling this small amount, so now I will give you many more responsibilities. Let's celebrate together. Father, we want to celebrate with you. We want you to say well done to what we're doing here in this life. When we see you on that day, Father, we want to celebrate. And in the meantime, Father, would you help us understand the many ways that you have, have blessed us. If you've blessed this church, that you've blessed our lives so that we walk around with a plentiful mentality. That we don't take for granted what you've entrusted to us. That we don't squander the opportunities. So Heavenly Father, now as we take the bread and the cup, we remember Jesus who gave us this story. And we say to him, thank you. Thank you for opening our eyes. Take our lives. We want you to get all the return and then some that you'd like from us. And may it, Father, bring us great joy. 
to hear your will done. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.